You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. John Ross and Eric Michael Smith are the co-hosts of the Formosa Files podcast. Together, John and Eric tell stories from the history of Taiwan, formerly known as Formosa, in a non-chronological order. They spoke with me about where the idea for the podcast came from, their love of history, and where they find inspiration for their podcast episodes. They are on a mission to share the history of Taiwan far and wide. Now in their second season, John and Eric also shared what we can expect from season three. This episode of Talking Taiwan has been sponsored by NATOA, the North America Taiwanese Women's Association. NATOA was founded in 1988, and its mission is one, to evoke a sense of self-esteem and enhance women's dignity. Two, to oppose gender discrimination and promote gender equality. Three, to fully develop women's potential and encourage their participation in public affairs. Four, to contribute to the advancement of human rights and democratic development in Taiwan. Five, to reach out and work with women's organizations worldwide to promote peace for all. To learn more about NATWA, visit their website, www.natwa.com. Without further ado, here's our interview. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having us. Great. So I would like my audience to know a little bit about you. So can you tell me a little bit about your background, your upbringing, and then lead us to how you got to Taiwan, what brought you to Taiwan? Shall we go with age before beauty? <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm a first-generation Kiwi, studied geography at university, was interested in travel, photojournalism. Uh, that didn't pay very well. I ended up in Taiwan in the mid-1990s um, teaching English while I completed a book on the ethnic insurgency in Burma and uh, as I uh, started doing some exploration in Mongolia on the trail of the Mongolian Yeti, uh, which I haven't uh, found yet, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, an unfinished project to be completed. Uh, so, yeah, I didn't uh, intend to, like so many people, uh, to stay in Taiwan so long, but uh, the best laid plans of mice and men uh, found myself a nice local lass and, uh, yes, slave to love, married, and here I am, many years later. Hmm. <laughs> Thanks, John. On my end, it's a, a quite a different story. My parents were missionaries with a, a small splinter group of uh, a particular denomination that I won't get into, but they came to Taiwan in roughly the first time, I think, in 1984. And then I, you know, at this point, I'm like maybe 10 years old at most. Then we went to Hong Kong, Macau, spent a little time in China and Japan, back to the States. And then eventually I decided to kind of return to my childhood home. And when I got back to Kaohsiung, uh, probably 97 or so, uh, for a short time, worked down here. But my goal was to always find something in journalism. And I realized that I had to move to Taipei. So went to Taipei, started off with the China Post, which is a newspaper that's been going since 1952. 
Uh, it's now uh, only digital, but uh, this is just during the days when the internet is taking over. So everything starts to no longer uh, receive pay. People you know, are getting it for free. So it wasn't a great time to get into it. But luckily, within six months of working there, I got a call from ICRT to come and work as a broadcast journalist for them. So I did that for a good 10 years or so before uh, also marrying and having a couple kids and deciding that the weather in Taipei is not conducive to human health, uh, even though we have a bit of an air pollution problem down in southern Taiwan. So moved the family back down here. And I still work for ICRT on the side, like as a stringer. But for the most part, the, the reason I'm here is because I had a fabulous experience as a young child. We got off the plane in 84, I think, and within a few hours of getting to Tianmu, which at the time was where the, the foreign community basically lived, I'd started to make friends with the, the local, we didn't have 7-Elevens then, but the local grocer and this person and, that, and everyone was just, I know it's cliche, but they're like, everyone's so friendly. Yeah, but they, they really were and very helpful with uh, teaching me Chinese and helping us adjust to life. So that memory of Taiwan being a place, welcoming place, uh, stuck with me. And years later, it was the, the choice for home again. Eric, I see that you also work for Next Media. Do you have any interesting stories about working for Next Media? You gotta think there's gotta be some interesting things about that experience. I do, but they're probably covered under non-disclosure agreements. <laughs> <laughs> so ne right. Next Media is Jimmy Lies, who I think currently is still languishing in a Chinese prison. Um, he founded Apple Daily, and then later Next Media. The Next Media branch was split off from his company at some point when I was working there. I only worked there for about a year plus or so. And we were part of the group that did the cartoon or the animated news. So we had two sections, one for Reuters, where we did actual graphics. So, you know, if a plane crashed, you want to see where on the planet it was and how it descended. And you got to illustrate that with, with graphics and various other um, animated ways. But then we had another channel called Tomo, and that was just pure insanity. So pick the most ridiculous story of the day, the one that's the most, you know, bait clicky, and turn that into something. So I had to write the script and then supervise the animation direction, uh, all of that. So it was a crash course in learning how modern media works and everything from thumbnails to headlines to SEO and all of that. So I'm, I'm very thankful for the experience of, of doing that. But I will say that after a year of doing stories that include uh, teachers having illicit relations with their students or um, gruesome this or that and the other, it, it was time to not continue with stuff that's a bit soul destroying. <laughs> right. And um, I understand that the two of you met because Eric interviewed John about his book, Taiwan in 100 Books, for ICRT. Is that right? Yes. As, as I recall, I read about your book in the Taipei Times. And then I think I contacted you somehow through somebody. And we met very briefly in a park and chatted. Yes. I asked uh, Eric to record Taiwan in a hundred books um, to make an audio book, and uh, he did that. Did a great job, and he liked the book so much. He said, 
What did you say, Eric? Right. So John starts off his book with that uh, Salmanazar story that we're going to be talking about in a bit, I think. So I, I'm reading, doing an audiobook is quite challenging, and you will read the same chapter probably 50 times uh, to get it right and get all the corrections done. So as I'm reading this over and over again, I'm thinking, I know many of these stories, and I like many of these stories, but I also know how many, how few rather people just have never heard of this stuff. And he's already packaged it in a story form. He's distilled the the book down to a couple of paragraphs or a couple of pages. And I thought, well, how could this format be done? And then one night it just clicked and it was a podcast. So I sent him a message and he said, yes. And from there, we did a, a demo and uh, we were on our way. I'm wondering how closely does the podcast follow what's in the book? Does it simply focus on historical characters, events of, that are lesser known that wouldn't be normally found? And like, does it really focus on what's in the book or do you do additional research of things that are covered in the book? Like, yeah, There's how- not that much overlap. Uh, the stories are covered in a different way, uh, many different stories. Uh- things that aren't in the book. And also with a podcast, uh, we have more, much more time to get into stories. So yeah, I, they're not that similar. Yeah, I think at this point, probably, I don't know, John, would you agree? Maybe only 20, 30% of the stories uh, that we've told are directly from the book. The, there's a whole bunch of stories that are n- not in the book. or So the book was like the, the jump off point, the inspiration and got us going in the beginning. But from there, we've branched off into all sorts of topics. Uh, today, I'm going to be releasing one about the musical garbage trucks of Taiwan. Where yes, they came I from. saw that. Mm-hmm. And that's that not in the really book, fun. for example. Yeah, right. And so, yeah, as you mentioned, the first episode that you started with was the White Formosan about this Salamanzar character. And I'm just curious, like, how did you even discover this story in the first place, John? Well, it's, it's relatively well known. Um, yeah, I've come across it uh, a few times over the years. So, yeah, a great story. Okay. Someone from uh, a young man from... Uh, the south of France goes over to England and pretends to be from Formosa, writes a book about it, and uh, is something of a celebrity. Yes. So why was that the topic for the first episode? Was there any particular reason behind that? Definitely. It's funny. Mm. It's, it's interesting. So it's just sort of making a statement that this isn't going to be quite the normal um, dry uh, historical podcast. And behind the humor, behind the, the outrageous tales that this uh, imposter makes up about Formosa, there are some important uh, messages about people's willingness to believe things. And also about how much people knew about Taiwan at that time. We talk about, you know, it's 1703, and China is pretty well known at this point by missionaries and others, but Taiwan was still such a, a question mark that people were willing to believe that this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, possibly white dude was a, a Formosan, and he was white because he lived underground to stay away from the sun and ridiculous things like this. <laughs> So yes, uh, but the the episode does give us a chance to yeah to look at what was known and there was stuff known. The Dutch had been there, of course. Uh, there had been some British people working for the Dutch, 
And then there had been a British factory, uh, a trading post in Formosa, in Tainan, for you know a dozen years. So there were people uh, in England who who knew about Formosa, but the mm-hmm. Salmanazar story uh, is about people choosing not to believe what they, uh, you know, um, because a lot of his story, what he wrote, was anti-Catholic, pro. Uh, Church of England. So it was ideological. You know, it wasn't just uh, about the facts. Um, I think John hit the the nail on the head with the the fact that it's it's a perfect opener for someone who, you know, you hear so many people say history is boring and uh, I don't like history. Da, da, da. But history is stories and stories are, are, are part of the human DNA. It's we're we're fascinated by them. So putting this one as the first one really was a signal to say, we are not going to sit here and say in 1601 and then in two, and then it's not a university lecture. It's going to be stories and you're going to get jokes. And so, yeah, there was a a deliberate choice to make that the first one. And like I said, every time someone says, oh, oh, I heard about your, I say, go to season one, listen to episode one. If you like that, you'll like the rest of the podcast. Yeah, I was also wondering if there was some irony behind that, because here we have, if I can be direct to what I was talking about, like history of Taiwan, and then you start with the white Formosan as the first episode. I, I see the humor. Yes, there, there, it, it is funny. But, you know, interestingly, I've had this conversation with a few people. I think that John and I are able to get away with saying certain things about Taiwan um, sure. related to history or events because we are expats or foreigners or whatever you want to say. If it was two ABCs or ABTs or whatever you want, or even local people, there comes with more baggage, right? They would have to defend this position or that position. But because we are outsiders, in a way, we're able to say, well, you know, this is just what we read and what we see and we're presenting history this way. So it kind of gives us a pass in many ways, you know, when we're talking about something like 228 or uh, other things that are still sensitive in Taiwan. Yeah, that's interesting. I also seem to know, I don't know if it's just me, but I kind of noticed like a what I see as some kind of recurring theme and what's covered in your episode. Like there's like a, a lot of like hoaxes that led just tales, imposters, and um, stories that kind of blur the line between history and exaggeration. Yeah, well, uh, they just make for great stories, and then the debunking of them is fun. And it teaches people to question what they're uh, hearing, what they're reading. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, things are not as blatant as the stories that we have, but, you know, Mm -hmm. things come with biases. So, you know, always, um, you know, follow uh, Socrates' advice and question everything. Yeah. And why did you guys decide to focus on the time period that you did, which is 1600 to 2000? You want me to take this one, John? (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay. Um, As I was thinking about it and sort of plotting the, the, the way that this podcast would go, it occurred to me that, number one, After the year 2000, we are now in, what, 2022? So it's only been a couple of decades. And it's hard for me to argue that you can have a perspective when you've only got a couple of decades uh, for there. So let's say we're talking about the Chen Shui-bian era from uh, 2000 to 2008. That just wasn't long enough ago for even uh, local scholars to be able to really... The the case isn't finished yet, you know, so... I felt like if we were commenting on that, it would be more of a current affairs thing. 
So an arbitrary date of 2000 seems to work perfectly for me because it is the year when the first political transition happened. So you could say that that, you know, marks the, the beginning of true democracy, or you could pick 96, the first presidential election. And um, it, it, that to me is more a plausible argument for being history. It's kind of been decided and it's been analyzed and we can find uh, references and stuff about it. And then if I want to be really honest, uh, after the year 2000, things get very controversial in Taiwan, and I'm not trying to start a bunch of fights or uh, upset people. That's not the goal. The goal is to entertain, educate, and uh, uh, whatever uh, other uh, E-word. Enlighten. How about that? Right. I wanted to ask you about the name of your podcast, Formosa Files. Where did that name come from? Is it related to a play on the words Formosa File as in <laughs> P-H-I-L-E, which I notice coincidentally is the Twitter handle of Michael Cannings, John's co-founder for Camper Press, who we also interviewed. John ah, gets credit for the title. You've just outed someone there, have you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's the right kind of file, so it's okay, John. Oh, okay. He gets, uh, you know what? Um, you get credit for I'm the a, name. I get credit for the name? Okay. Yeah, because uh, I originally had Formosa flashbacks as the idea that I was uh, were working with, and John was like, yo, man, cool, from the 60s, groovy. But he liked the idea of having the, you know, the alliteration there, but he came up with a better idea of Formosa files. So, yeah, good work on John's yeah. part. Yeah, the podcast was Eric's uh, baby, his idea, but I, I thought up the name. So I kind of copied it from another podcast I listened to, uh, the Japanophile, Japanophile podcast. That's right. Okay. So hmm, uh, a guy in Matsumoto, Dave Carlton. Uh, yeah, and it's just hmm, Formosa Files. That's even better. That's got the alliteration. Yeah, so yeah. I kind of borrowed it. Well, I think it's a good name. Where does your love of history come from? Uh, John, you seem to have a real knack for uncovering all these uh, lesser known stories and facts in history. Well, how could you not like history, you know? My Agreed. goodness. Well, I think for me, it was an acquired interest much later in life, but maybe I didn't, it wasn't taught to me the right way because it was just a bunch of facts to be memorized and really not interesting to me in my youth. Yeah, in Taiwan, you, my daughter's in junior high school. She's memorizing the rivers of China, you know, all the rivers of China and then the emperors. Still? And, yeah, still, unfortunately. Yeah. And I understand when she comes back and she shows me that as history. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I want to cry because you're turning off generations of people for what should be the most fascinating subject in school. Because to me, history is, is, is the, if you don't understand history, you can't understand anything that's going on today. The Ukraine war, if you don't understand the, the, the history of, of how that goes back and da, 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 it, nothing makes sense. World War II doesn't make sense unless you understand World War One. World War One doesn't make sense unless you go back to 1848 and the French Revolution, Napoleonic War. You know, it's like everything is connected, and without that connection, you're you're blind. Uh, anyway, I'm preaching. Yeah. So, when I think back to when I'm like 11 or something like that, I'm reading travel stories. I'm reading mystery tales. Uh, history came a bit later. History's kind of like travel to another place, right? You know, what's the quote? Uh, the past is another country. The past is a foreign country. That's the one. So 
it's like you, you have multiple worlds, all these different worlds in the past. So it's, it's, it's like traveling to these really exotic and interesting places. Like Eric said, you, uh, you get to understand a lot of why the world is the way it is. Yeah, it's great. And then I have one more little uh, kind of more strange reason for loving history. When I was a kid, due to my religious parents' uh, religiosity, they were, uh, again, very devout in their ways. So on our, on our shelves, we had the Bible and we had uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. So those were my choices to read. And after you've read the Bible a couple of times, um, you're, you're good, uh, at least for most people. So I started off on the encyclopedias. And of course, not every bit is history, but a lot of it would be little stories and distillations of this and this and this. And that led me to want to know more. So then I was finally permitted to go to the library and take books out on uh, English kings or knights or this sort of stuff. And from there, it just developed into uh, the same with just this is an adventure. Each time you go into it, it it's uh, you're, you're seeing something new. Then when I get to, you know, college age and you're looking at stuff like Howard Zinn's um, history, alternative history of the United States, and then you start to question like, OK, what what uh, what really did happen? Then it leads you to go look at more stuff. And as you go down this rabbit hole, it becomes another rabbit hole. And I have to stop myself sometimes on Wikipedia and other places because I will go into three hour rabbit holes on some really arcane subject. But it's I, it, to me, I don't understand why people would say that it, it would be boring. It's, it's quite the opposite. And now for a short break. Hello, listeners. We're going to be experimenting with some shorter form content under 20 minutes long. And we'd like to hear from you. Would you like to listen to shorter episodes? What would you like to hear more of or less of? Email us at podcast at talkingtaiwan.com. We also have a special announcement for all of our donors, past, present, and future. We're giving all of our donors exclusive first listening access to upcoming interviews with Karen Lin, Democratic candidate for Justice of the Civil Court in Queens, New York. Chin Chi Yang, a multidisciplinary artist who was recently inducted into the New York Foundation for the Arts Hall of Fame. Michelle Kuo, an attorney, activist, and author of Reading with Patrick, which is a runner-up for the Dayton Literary Peace Prize and the Goddard Riverside Stefan Russo Book Prize for Social Justice. Ed Lin, author of Death Doesn't Forget, and Joe Henley, author of Migrante. If you want exclusive access to these episodes and more, support Talking Taiwan by making a contribution to our GoFundMe campaign. We are so grateful for our growing listenership and all the support that we've been receiving. Now, back to the episode. What kind of research is involved with your podcast? Like, What do you find to be the best sources of research for the purposes of your podcast? TikTok videos. <laughs> I'll let John do the, the real answer for this one. But uh, one thing that's uh, unfortunate is that actually much of our stuff doesn't come from Chinese language sources. It's not because of our inability to read them. It's because they aren't there, unfortunately. 
There huh. sometimes is a dearth of uh, available stuff in Chinese because the system has been so um, sensitive over the years and history was first purged by the Japanese, then it's purged by yes. the nationalists that came over. And then even now it's politicized in Taiwan with the, mm. the party that's in control now. So many times, if you want to find really good stuff, you got to go look uh, at French sources or uh, English or other things. John would know more than me, but that's my take on part of it. Okay. Uh, Wiki is much derided, but wow, I really need to give a shout out to the people who do the pages for uh, Taiwan history. Wikipedia, very, very good. Uh, they've got multiple sources and uh, perspectives. It's often better than it's usually better than any single standalone book on a subject. Very, very good. So Wikipedia, uh, we read, um, myself especially, uh, a lot of academic books. You know, the academic industrial complex is enormous. There's, uh, there are millions of people writing uh, PhDs, uh, d dissertations, Um on uh, any subject you can imagine. Um, yeah, I remember, John, when I sent you the Onward Christian Samurai story. Yes. Yeah. So, like, I just stumbled across this uh, in an academic paper about Christian samurais that were sent to Taiwan on almost like a suicide mission. And the paper didn't get much attention from anybody, but it had some great stories in there. But they only became good stories after John looked at it and distilled the best parts of the information. And we both uh, crafted it into the, the final the podcast. But like th that story, you would either need to dig deep into Wikipedia to maybe find a little bit or you have to look at this uh, difficult to obtain um, academic paper. Oh, interesting. Yes, there are lots of academic works. As much as I read, I, I can't keep up with the output. Uh, sure. You know, and that's just English language ones. Uh, also, because we're dealing with history, a lot of our works are old, so they're accessible. They're in the public domain, and you can uh, find a lot of those uh, online or find the old books. Yes. So uh, is it easy to access these dissertations and thesis uh, works that people have done? A lot of it is online. Yeah. I'm reminded okay. of a conversation I had ooh, about 23 years ago with Chris Bates. Chris Bates, uh -huh. uh, martial arts expert and writer. Um, he wrote Culture Shock Taiwan. And I was talking to him about, you know, martial arts. What's the most difficult thing? What's this? Is this? And he just told me, finding time. That's the key. <laughs> finding time <laughs> to do it. So, yeah. No problem finding material, sources. It's just finding time to read it and uh, pull out the best parts. Yeah, time. Okay. Time's so a difficulty. anything a little bit more unconventional in terms of sources of research? The bottle? No. Uh, <laughs> I have, I have uh, because I've lived here for, for approaching it's 26, 27 years now in total, I've traveled a lot around, as John has as well. You've been, we've both been kind of everywhere. I have this 150cc motorcycle, you know, the kind that the mm -hmm. gas delivery people have. And I frequently drive up into the hills as far up as 3,000 meters. And I like getting lost. So if I see a pathway mm -hmm. that I haven't been down before, I go down it. And 
frequently I'll stumble across something that I want to know the story behind, and then that will trigger, uh, huh, so I remember years ago I was out in Neiman in Kaohsiung, what used to be Kaohsiung County, now Kaohsiung City, and I stumbled across the temple dedicated to Zui Gui, the Duck King rebel who successfully kicked the Qing out of Taiwan for a couple of months and proclaimed himself emperor of Taiwan. So it's a great story. And the temple is there. So most people maybe would pass by and say, oh, oh you know, you see one temple, you've seen them all. But if mm -hmm. you look behind the story a little bit, you might discover something really fascinating. And that's an example. The Duck King story is an example of <laughs> uh, something that just evolved out of one of my motorcycle rides. Yeah, it could be something in a museum. Uh, actually, Eric, the one we've just recorded on uh, holidays during the uh, – trips during the Japanese colonial period that uh, that came from looking at a map in a, a museum of uh, elementary school kids taking uh, trips around Taiwan in 1936 um, but you know I just saw that and then I thought oh that's that's interesting and then I and we also should give credit to the people who have been doing this for longer than us Hang Chen of the Taipei Times. He's got this Taiwan in time column, which is superb and frequently mm -hmm. inspires us to flesh out uh, his stories even more and, and look into that. You've got Stephen Crook, who did highways and byways for the Taipei Times for a good decade, I believe. And uh, he also points out temples or villages or features or all kinds of stuff. And from reading that, you get inspiration. So those people uh, are to be commended for, you know, they're, they're not making ton, tons of money by <laughs> producing these columns. It's a lot of labor of love, but they've stuck to it for, um, I think, in both cases, at least a decade. And uh, I'm grateful for both of those guys. And what's interesting about your podcast also is you don't do things in a strict chronological order. So I'm wondering, how do you decide what to cover and what order to do your podcast episodes? It's what grabs our interest at a particular time. I might just have read something. Yeah, oh, this will be good. Uh, and then sometimes we'll think, oh, we've done a few on uh, the modern uh, times. Well, let's head back and uh, mix it up a bit. Very early on when I was thinking about how to lay out this podcast, I was going to do it in a chronological order. And it struck me after some thought that that's exactly – what I wanted to avoid because that's a, a university lecture, essentially. And if, if you don't know what's coming next week, you are there, there's that anticipation. There's a, the possibility that it's going to be something that, that you really are interested in. And like John said, if there's two in a row of from the Japanese era, then maybe I'll say, hey, you know, uh, we need something either from older or from to mix it up and keep it fresh. So we did two episodes recently on defectors in association with the USC, uh, the East Asian Studies Department, Li Ping Chen and Andrew Morris. That was great. But then today we'll do musical garbage trucks. So the, the, the mix between those two uh, is something that keeps the audience on their toes, perhaps, and interested, hopefully. It's not just musical garbage trucks. We also mentioned Kenny G, all right? <laughs> yes yes oh wow that's interesting i'd be curious to know how kenny g is connected to the musical garbage trucks <laughs> so are there any episode ideas that you've tried and have had to scrap yes uh a listener in singapore uh 
<laughs> asked me to do an episode on Jai Turkey Rice, that delicious specialty yes. from Jai County. Well, it's, uh, yeah, it's okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I said, yes, I can do that, uh, but I can't find enough material. There's just not enough uh, interesting turns and um, thousands of years ago the first turkeys arrived in <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i'm still working on that i haven't given up but uh, yeah. it might just have to be a side story with uh, beef noodles and other dishes <laughs> yeah yeah there hasn't been that many ones where we've done it and then said nah we're not going to release this one but there have been times when we've done one and i've uh, raised concerns with John and I've said, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. And I've been wrong. So the, the the hunger, the thirst for information about almost everything related to Taiwan is bigger than perhaps many people think. So are you surprised by some of the episodes that get more interesting? They're pretty consistent. Uh, maybe just the uh... What's the one? Uh, orangutans <laughs> run wild. What's that one, Eric? Yeah. So like John said, uh, consistency would be stuff related to World War II or war in general, Kashinga, these kind of stories. Um, to be honest, we have larger male listenership than female listenership. And I, I, I don't know what to say about that, but that's just what it is. So World War II is popular. But we did one about the orangutans that were pets in Taiwan in the 80s because of some TV show that had an orangutan. So they illegally imported all these uh, orangutans from Indonesia. <laughs> they were really cute when they were babies, of course, but they grew up to become, you know, orangutans. Mm. And they were no longer pets. So people would take them out to the hills and say, you know, have a good life. And uh, yeah. So they were wandering around oh, the hills wow. of central Taiwan for it's too long ago. They've all passed away at this point. But there was uh, a, part of the story involves a hiker who's in the middle of his hike when he gets molested, as in, you know, <gasps> actually molested oh. by an orangutan. And we thought, you know, I thought this story was a home run. And just, I mean, how could you not love uh, orangutan? Very next media, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it surprisingly didn't do as well as, say, a story about what was one that you know a, a, a travel fair that the Japanese did in the 20s showcasing Aboriginal indigenous villages and, and other stuff that one was actually more popular than the orangutans so I'm still pushing the orangutans and I'm still gonna uh, you know keep <laughs> advertising for that one but um, yeah sometimes you are surprised what about you John any I guess as you as you said it's pretty consistent no uh we have a very loyal uh, audience, so our numbers uh, don't change very much. Yeah, They basically yeah. listen to everything, and they listen to it pretty quickly. So we don't really know uh, which ones are more popular. Not okay. enough difference in numbers. Sure. Um, how has the podcast changed and evolved over time? I would say, from my perspective, we have learned to anticipate each other better or to uh, have better chemistry. We probably know when to pause for a laugh or stuff like this. It, it, it takes time to develop that with a, a co-host. And in general, we have a better way of delivery. We've gotten better. You, 
you've got to develop a, a degree of confidence, of course, and you work on your voice tone and all this sort. Just when I when I listen to stuff from season one and then later from the season two, I personally can hear an improvement in in all of these areas, and it's just a, a natural evolution of, of working uh, together. I would say. I can't really uh, hear a difference. <laughs> I'm <in a> spiral. <laughs> Well, you know, John well, and I are very, very different uh, individuals uh, from our background to just pretty much everything. I mean, even uh, personal beliefs and views and all kinds of stuff. But that that's part of the reason I think it works, because we get to play on each other's strengths and go back and forth. And there's uh, th- that, that that's interesting. You can't have a show without a degree of, of uh, back and forth or even, I don't know, a bit of conflict. I don't think that's right. We don't disagree about we much, don't disagree. do we? No, we don't disagree. Well, we're disagreeing we- now about agreeing <laughs> and disagreeing. But, uh. but we come at it from no. different uh, approaches. So I might have, you know, this a bit of a spin on it while you have a different spin and they, they, they balance each other out in a way, maybe? You've got to stop drinking that Gaoshang water. It's not healthy. <laughs> It's the air, man. 175 today. <laughs> oh, cruel. Mm. Uh, Eric, and you, you have a pretty good ear because you also do voiceover work and things like that, right? Uh, sound is my thing, yeah. I yeah. started getting into it with uh, during my time with ICRT. And it's a lot of fun, actually, when you realize what can be done with... A little, a little bit of judicious editing, and then perhaps some boosting of this, that, and the other. So you can, you can, especially with the interviews, because an interview often will have bad sound quality on one end, and so for me, it's a, a challenge to turn it into something good. So I, I get satisfaction out of putting three hours into uh, producing something that I'm, I'm happy with. So yeah, sound, mm-hmm. sound is cool. Yeah. And you guys are not in the same location, and so do you actually record together in a dialogue form, or do you sometimes record one and then the other, like, scripted out? Like, how do you do your recording logistically? We have worked in studios before, and every now and then uh, over the past 2021, when we had a real heavy COVID situation, we did do some online. It's a mixture of the two. But we try our best to work in, together in the, the same location whenever we can. Do you guys have any personal favorite episodes? Well, Erica, I think your, your favorite episode, if I were to guess, is the ragtag one. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, although that's my favorite uh, one that hasn't gotten enough plays... My okay. personal favorite is is actually the one we did. We did a dual episode on democracy fighter Pami Ming, the first DPP mm-hmm. candidate for president. Uh, and he has a fabulous life story. So we w- when we recorded it, we knew that he was 98 years old, so likely not long for the world. And we thought that, you know, it would be probably a, a, a good time to, to do this. But we didn't know exactly how close it was. It was within days of recording part one, I think he passed away. And then yes. we were able to record part two. And it was great to be able to have people get that information about him right at that time. But even more than that, I was 
really pleased to get uh, an email from the daughter of the missionaries who helped him escape from Taiwan. And she said, oh, I've, of course, heard this story from my parents who have passed away at this point, but I didn't know all the details. And listening to this just made me happy. And I even laughed and everything. And I guess maybe because I also come from a missionary background and I'm just able to connect a little bit and think about this. And it just, you know, how gandong, <laughs> the feeling of yeah. being able to, yes. to, to touch a, a life like that and, and the connection and all of that. Then later, I think we also talked in that uh, same episode about a priest who was kicked out of Taiwan. Uh, or maybe it was a different story. When I talked to ICRT's Tim Berge, there was a priest that the, the Taiwanese authorities kicked mm. out for speaking about democracy. And his adopted son contacted us to say, uh, oh, you know, I heard this. So getting those kind of uh, feedbacks from people who are directly connected, that means a lot to me. Um, that, so yeah. those are some of my favorites. That's amazing. John? Uh, favorite episodes. So hard to choose. Mm -hmm. Well, I like Taiwan in a international setting uh, and personal stories. Uh, how about the mountain climber Makalu Gao, who was uh, stuck up on uh, Mount Everest overnight? You know, eight thousand meters, uh, almost frozen to death. Uh, that's that's a great story. Uh, also involves New Zealand climbers too, so uh, that's good. Um, well, the uh, Taiwanese soldier who was the the last holdout during the Second World War, you know, He's on an yeah, Indonesian indigenous. island. Uh, yes, yes. Um, and then, you know, you've got uh, some stories telling about nuts and bolts things like the economy, uh, shipping. Uh, yeah, it's it's very difficult to uh, to choose. We choose things that we like to do, you know, we, so we're not having to cover subjects or periods that we're not interested in. So we like everything we do. Good, <laughs> That's <yeah>. true. <laughs> I really appreciate how you guys are making history more accessible and interesting. And I know that really can't be easy keeping things it's easy. really tight. It's Is easy. It? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, you guys make it look easy, like doing these uh, really tight episodes under half an hour. What guides your decisions and what you're going to cover or like the general structure of how you approach things in that half hour? Well, often uh, with a story, the idea just comes from some you know little hook, some nugget. That will often be uh, the, the start of the uh, episode. And for the structure, if it runs too long, we just break it into uh, two parts or it's just uh, another another uh, episode on a different topic. That's happened uh, quite a few times. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, you just need to stick to a story. Uh, nowadays, it's very easy because of Wikipedia to head off uh, sideways. You click on a link and you're, you're heading away. Just keep going forward with just uh, a few side minor side trips but go forward what happens next what's happening next uh very basic storytelling stuff but the asides that do come through every now and then are all, sometimes some of my favorites because uh, they're just bizarre little things that you would never have thought of and like oh <laughs> there's this as well so the reason I call the episode we're going to release today the musical garbage trucks is even though that's only maybe, what, five minutes of the conversation, mm -hmm. but it's the hook. 
and it's the yeah. thing I'm going to use on social media to get the most attention. And it's just, you know, I, I, I got samples of the, the two sounds, like actual, I went out and got the garbage truck sound itself and recorded mm -hmm. it. So mm -hmm. you have that in the background mm -hmm. and it's just a nice little, uh, yeah, it's my favorite little bit of that. So the entire episode is covering the sounds of the 1990s and garbage trucks are the, the, the special aside that I like in there. So what can we expect from Formosa Files in the future? Or is there anything else you guys would like to share that we haven't talked about? We are hoping to expand into video. And this is going to be quite difficult because neither of us really have a background in video. Well, I mean, I do have my next media stuff, but that's more of a cartoon thing. So how to present these things in video form, it's going to have to be shorter than even 20 minutes. And some things, of course, don't have images that you can use, even in the public domain, things that happened before photography was invented, for example. So we're going to have to think of some creative ways of illustrating that. And the reason I feel that we have to, we don't have a choice, that we have to move into video is because I'm the eldest of 10 siblings. And my youngest brother is in his uh, mid-20s, for example. And oh, I can't wow. get him to listen to my podcast because he, <laughs> he wants to watch a video. And oh. so there's so many of these younger folks who say, like, yeah, if, if that was a video, maybe. So I believe eventually there needs to be visuals that come with this. And uh, I hope that season three can be the pioneer, at least, for the beginning of a foray into videos. Oh, interesting. I'd just like to make a point about our uh, philosophy of history that we both agree on uh, sort of a sympathetic uh, uh, empathy for uh, the people in the past that they were uh, in difficult situations, making difficult choices, limited information. Uh, and though we might not agree with what they did, uh, we can understand why. Yeah, so we, we try not to be too judgmental. Also, history is not some sort of linear thing where a series of points, this, 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 uh, and another thing happens. It's not preordained. At every point, there are multiple possible futures, difficult choices. This could have happened, this. Uh, so it's really interesting. Uh, so many possibilities at each stage. And, you know, all those like I said, difficult choices. I mean, take, for example, um, 1895, the Japanese are coming over. What do you do? Eric, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel exactly the same way. So you'll get somebody criticizing someone who opened the gates of Taipei. But was that not perhaps at that moment, maybe the best choice other than being burnt to the ground and slaughtered, you know? So we have a tendency to put everything into black and white categories and heroes and villains and this sort of thing. But in reality, uh, life isn't like that. Nothing's black and white. Everything's gray. And to remember that Taiwan went to the nationalist rule, what, in 45, right? 1945, after mm -hmm. the World War II. And then there's a little gap there between when Chiang Kai-shek was finally defeated and came over in, in the end of 49. So there's a lot of, of criticism about things that happened during that time. But when you look at what had happened in China over the last centuries before 1945, you see nothing but violence and misery and hunger and suffering and all of that. 
So then when they get to Taiwan in 1945, yeah, there are some horrible things that, that happen. But I guess I have a, a tiny degree of sympathy or understanding considering just the, the situation at the time. And we try, like John said, to to imagine, like, what, what would you do in this situation? Or maybe that person had a, a, a way of, yeah, um, it's, it's, it's hard to describe, but uh, I, I think John got it right. Sympathy, uh, not condoning, just sympathy and understanding of the, the difficulties of, of what things were like in the past. Perhaps a good example of the sympathy thing, at least from my perspective, is we did an episode, John, about the USS Tang, right? The submarine mm. that had the most kills in World War II, and it now sits at the bottom of the Taiwan Strait after it was blown up by its own torpedo. So in the story, you've got, it, 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 depending if you're a, a nationalistic American or something, you might have like a, a patriotic take on, you know, the heroes of war or something. But I look at this story and I feel sympathy for the Japanese who were involved in the situation as well. They didn't ask to be there for the most part. They are draftees. Some of them were even Taiwanese. You know, Lee Dong-hui's brother, for example, was killed in the uh, World War II by a U.S. military strike on, on one of his ships, as I recall. So thinking about the Americans who are in this situation and the Japanese, everyone's suffering. Everyone's going through hell. And to say that one is more heroic than the other, it's just it's that's not how history works for the most part. You know, of course, there are exceptions, but. Yeah. How can you not have sympathy for the, the people on the other side who are getting their ships blown out from under them? Yes. And just, you know, life was so tough, uh, especially if we go back uh, 100 years or so. I mean, women would have 10 children and then lose half of them in ch uh, childbirth, early childhood. Uh, yeah, just life and death uh, struggles all the time. And, and that's why history is so easy to tell, because... It's all very important what people are doing, you know, life and death. It's not just like, um, well, I have a bit of an identity crisis because I'm a first-born generation New Zealander and uh, am I really a New Zealander? Yeah. No, good God, man. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, life and death, uh, history. Um, yeah, well, uh, your point is well taken. And I think it's important when we look at uh, history is to actually – reflect on it and understand the context because if you really understand the context of the person or the people that are in this situation and what they did or didn't know, then maybe you can be a little bit more sympathetic, right? Um, because those are there were different times, different kinds of information or, or different kinds of conventional thought or knowledge was available, right? So do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to share with my listeners? You can contact us by email at formosafiles at gmail.com. We also have a website, formosafiles.com. And if you are a Taiwanese American living in the States or, or living abroad somewhere and you have the ability to help other people in your community know about this resource, please do let people know. That's the biggest challenge right now is just getting the word out that this exists and... Yeah, um, if you if you want to write and express um, thoughts or suggestions, we're happy to take them. We frequently get emails from people uh, with uh, ideas and other stuff. So 
contact us, um, support us, tell other people about us. Yeah, that sort of stuff. The only thing I can think of, uh, hmm. in season three, we're going to do a story. I don't know what, but we've promised something on Tai Chong. <laughs> okay. All right. This is a sore spot for me because uh, Kaohsiung and Taichung switched places for number two city in Taiwan a couple of years back. So oh. my hometown of Kaohsiung used to be the, the second city of Taiwan, and now it's the third. So, yeah, I have a bit of a rivalry with Taichung going on. <laughs> no, but seriously, uh, there's not that much there now or in the past. Uh, yeah, you remember uh, Lonely Planet uh, writer Robert Kelly? He used mm. to get grief over uh, not including much on Taichung. And then he challenged people, okay, give me some suggestions. And, uh, yeah, they couldn't. He's he's a very keen uh, Formosa Files listener, by the way. Mm. Very nice. I'll find something very on nice. Taichung. There, there's got to be find something. find something on Taichung, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Well, thank you so much, um, Eric and John. I want to thank you so much for your time and for being on Talking Taiwan. Thanks, Thank Felicia. you for having us. Yeah. I've been speaking with John Ross and Eric Michael Smith, the co-hosts of Formosa Files podcast. This episode of Talking Taiwan has been sponsored by NATOA, the North America Taiwanese Women's Association. NATOA was founded in 1988 to evoke a sense of self-esteem and enhance women's dignity, to oppose gender discrimination and promote gender equality to fully develop women's potential and encourage their participation in public affairs, to contribute to the advancement of human rights and democratic development in Taiwan, to reach out and work with women's organizations worldwide to promote peace for all. To learn more about NATWA, visit their website, www.natwa.com. Now it's time for you to show us some love. We just found out that you can rate us on Spotify. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Audible, leave us a review there. It helps others to discover Talking Taiwan. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There we'll list any related links. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.